if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to uh, John chapter 16, we're going to be looking at all of John uh, 16 to some degree or another uh, today. Um, and what we know is that John chapter 16 is part of uh, what would be called the upper room discourse. And so Jesus has gathered uh, his disciples together and he's preparing them uh, to, to leave them. He's preparing to uh, go to Gethsemane. He's preparing to go to the cross and he's preparing to give his life as a ransom, as a substitute, a, an atoning substitute on the cross. And then 40 days after the resurrection, he's going to do what? It's going to be ascended to heaven uh, to go back to be with his father. And when he does that, who is going to be sent? The Holy Spirit's going to be sent. And so um, so chapter 16 is, is one of these last moments that Jesus is going to speak to his disciples and um, I wish I could handle chapter 16 and 17 together because Jesus expresses and reiterates some real fundamental truths that we've been looking at for months. But um, in a few hours, he shared these things with the disciples and, uh, and he kind of capstones it by having this time of prayer where he prays for them. And it's, it's just an amazing prayer but that'll have to wait till next week. And so John chapter 16, let's pray together, then we'll begin. Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning, and um, we just pray, Lord, that you would do a deeper work in our heart and in our lives so that we would be better ambassadors for you, Lord. Lord, that you would season our words with grace, that you'd give us compassion for people. Uh, Lord, help us, Lord, to represent you to our community, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in John chapter 16. Come with me to verse 1. We'll begin there. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you. What's the next words? To keep you from falling away. And so what we're going to see in John chapter 16 is that Jesus is really concerned for the disciples. He's concerned uh, because he knows all that they're going to face in the next few days. And so what he comes, Jesus comes, is that he talks to them again, uh, like if you were looking at I give you a hint. It's the same answers over and over again. And if you're in doubt, you can just use the Sunday school answer, which is only one word. Jesus, right? So the application to us when we look at these truths in John chapter 16 is to keep us from falling away. In other words, that we wouldn't become so discouraged. We wouldn't lose heart. We wouldn't wonder what's happening to us, but we would trust that God knows what we're facing in this day, in this time, and that he has equipped us to be able to walk through it. So 
let's look at the first one. And this is a topic that you and I, we've spent, I think, in some way or another since June talking about this. And so Jesus is going to reiterate it. He's going to tell his disciples again. And that thematically we're going to find in verses 1 through 4. So John chapter 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from following, uh, falling away. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. In other words, that the disciples are going to be excommunicated from what they knew as their really only place of worship. They are going to be excommunicated from the company of people that they had shared life with. That's going to happen to them. Do we know it happens? The answer to that is, it's not Jesus, but the answer is yes, did happen to them. Come back to the text. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me, Jesus. Verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so what we see in the text is Jesus is warning them of the coming persecution that's going to come into their life. And it's not going to come into their life because um, they are, say, obnoxious. and It's not going to come into their life because, because they're difficult people. The persecution that's going to come into their life is that they are going to begin preaching. So when we look at the book of Acts, and we look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, the disciples are going to start preaching about what? The Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer, and that's correct. Thank you, Toby. So they're going to start teaching about Jesus, and more precisely, they're going to be teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is the flashpoint that's going to cause Peter and John to be brought before the Sanhedrin. It's going to cause Peter and John to be arrested. And ultimately, it's going to be the reason that all the disciples, with the exception of who? John, is going to be martyred for their faith. And so Jesus is warning them that this is going to come. Now, here's the tough part. How do we make application of this truth to us today? Well, the application of this truth to us today is that if we're an ambassador of Christ to our community, if we're, say, have a biblical worldview and, say, advocate for a biblical worldview, let's say, in our school systems or, let's say, in our social circles, and we come advocating, say, 
a biblical worldview, what is most likely the result that's going to happen to us? Thank you. Rejection. People are going to say, well, that is for you. That shouldn't come to play in the public arena. Have you experienced that? And so when we are as Bible-believing Christians with a biblical worldview, I mean, we could go down lots of roads on this, but let's say that we, be, we believe, which we do, that life begins at conception, right? And we hold that biblical worldview. Is that biblical worldview going to be accepted or rejected? It's going to be, for the most part, it's going to be rejected. And so here is, here is the pastoral moment, or here is the point of transformation, is what will be your attitude and your disposition when you are rejected for a biblical worldview, which up until recently has kind of been the thing that has shaped our culture and has shaped our legal system. What is going to be your disposition towards that? Well, I live in the world that you live in, and I can tell you it hasn't gone very well. You know, I had a uh, political activist ring my doorbell, uh, I think it was like two weeks ago, and... Um, and we, we, we got into it. And as soon as I closed the door, I realized that I had done wrong. I realized that I represented my position pretty well, but I did not represent Christ very well at all. See, the gospel is counterintuitive, somewhat paradoxical. It represents God's kingdom, which is the only means towards salvation and regeneration. And so if I'm a poor ambassador of that, I can expect what? You business guys know this. I can expect poor outcomes, right? And so the challenging part for me, and I think the point of application for us as a church, is that no matter, no matter how much rejection we might experience, no, no matter how much harshness may be directed at us, and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, excusing us of doing the same, by the way, just so you're tracking with me, but no matter how much harshness or, or judgmentalism that's directed our way, we are, we are never, um, if we are led by the Holy Spirit, we are never off the hook in responding in a Christ-like way to those who don't agree with us. And see, this is the dilemma for us as a church is that if we embrace less than 
a Christ-like attitude towards those that oppose us, we will devour ourselves. We, we will invite that way of relating into the relationships that we share, and it will destroy the church. And it will make us impotent and ineffective in reaching our community for Christ. You, you tracking with me? Because that is our mission. We have no other mission other than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the early church understood this. So when uh, in, in uh, Bible times and during Roman times, infanticide was a common practice, especially if it was a girl. There's a historical documents of Roman soldiers writing back to their wives, and they say the Roman soldier writes back to their wife. All of this, you can Google it. I'm not going to tell you anything that you can't find quite easily. You can look at, you can find the original source. Roman soldier writes back, if it's a boy and in good health, nurture it well. Take good care of that child. Looking forward to meet him. If it's a girl, the euphemism was expose it to the elements. And the church's response was this. They went to the places where they left the little kids, the babies. And what do you think they did? They rescued them. They took them in. They raised them up. They did the good in the face of extreme depravity. And see, that, that is the complete tension that Jesus doesn't want his disciples to fall away. So he tells them that when I leave, this is going to happen to you. And by the way, it's not about you. It's about that you have been transformed and you represent a different kingdom. And by the way, when you are rejected, when you are put out of the synagogue, I ex Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 5, when they despitefully use you, what's your remedy? To pray for them. When they reject you, what's your remedy? You're to love them and to pray for them. And see, that is where, in my own heart, I have to say that it's a, how can we put this? It's an inconvenient truth. How's that? It's a challenging truth. It's a, it's a truth that I absolutely need the grace of God to transform my heart so the next time someone rings my doorbell, I'm more concerned with the person and being ambassador to Christ than winning my argument. Do you think I can win my argument? You betcha. 
but in winning the argument, I lose. And it's a real, I, I have to tell you, it's, I live in Salem, Mass. And if you know anything about Salem, Mass, it's a spiritual zoo right now. But I'm called to walk as light in the midst of that darkness. That's your calling too. That's, that's my calling. You could certainly look at Matthew chapter 5 to proof text everything and anything I have just said. But for the sake of like, like clarity, let's go to Romans chapter 12 for a minute. Are you, are you good with that? All right, Romans chapter 12. And just see if this doesn't resonate with you about what we're called to to be and to do in the midst of our culture today. Because that's really the application. The application is to take an... <laughs> if someone has a better word for me, you can send me a text. But I think in all honesty, it's just completely uncomfortable and inconvenient to be Christ-like, his ambassador to our culture today, but that's the point of growth for me, and that's the point where we can penetrate culture with the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 12 with me in, in verse 9 through the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the ESV. It has a paragraph summary that reads, Marks of the True Christian." Paul writes this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another showing honor. Do, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and, and seek to show hospitality. Are we all good? Yeah. I wish, I wish he stopped there. If he stopped there, we'd be all good. But here's the call upon our life. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That, that's a hard truth. But that's the place where we earn, by grace, the ability to have an opportunity to speak into people's lives and tell them Christianity, it's, it's, it's not like all the loonies that are screaming in your face with a placard saying, you're going to hell. You know those people, we see them. And what do our young people, how do our young people react to that? Those that are in college or in high school when they're trying to express to their friends what Christianity is like. How do they do that? It's simply a great challenge. So unless we walk in Christ and communicate the way Jesus did to people, we're in trouble. 
as an ambassador for Jesus. Back to Romans with me. Finally, Paul rescues us a little bit. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly, the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Wow, that's great. Thank you. I, I believe I can do that. And I think for the most part, we can until we get to the next verse. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil. Repay no, e no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, <laughs> if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, for by so doing, you will, now this is a, a difficult to understand in the English, but it just Think about he'd been blessing on blessing on top of people. Because I've seen this used as, oh, I would do that, Lord. I'll be glad to heap burning coals of fire upon their head. Can y'all say amen? If you didn't say amen, you're such a sinner. Because it's only when we become, it's only become when we become aware of our own sinfulness, do we enter that place where we say to the Lord, Lord, my heart needs to change. My heart needs to become more like Christ. And it's when that grips us and we begin to understand that our conversations are not neutral with people. There's no conversation. I'm trying to think of one. Someone will text me and tell me. But there's no conversation that we're neutral about how we present ourselves to the people within the sphere of our influence. Why? Because we're an ambassador. We represent a different kingdom. We represent a different value system. We represent ultimately a different outcome that we're praying for in people's lives. And that is what brings us into conflict. And that is what identifies us with Christ. And that is the, the, that is the transformational moment where we must choose who we will surrender to. Will we surrender to our political ideology, whether that's Democrat or Republican? I'm not sure what Bernie Sanders is, but Green New Deal or something like that. 
will we surrender to a political ideology? Will we surrender to our Irish heritage of always wanting to be right and knowing that we are right? Will we surrender to that? Or, or will we surrender that we serve a different kingdom and a different king who loves the world so much that he sent his one and only begotten son to rescue us from this present evil age and to let us experience God's grace and God's forgiveness in our life. That's what I want to be about. Am I there? I wasn't there a couple weeks ago. I was not. And I know uh, that the Lord will send another opportunity my way to grow and to step into the things. And you, you know why I know that? Because every time I teach on this, it happens. Do you really, you can teach on it, Conway, but will, will, you, will you walk in it? Will, will you walk in it yourself? Jesus is preparing his disciples. He shares with them throughout 16 that that when he leaves, they're going to have a relationship with the Father that they can go to him with any prayer. He's, going to sh he's sharing with the disciples that when Jesus goes, they're going to be better off because the Holy Spirit will come and abide in them and lead them and guide them on each and every opportunity that comes through their life. Jesus is concerned and so he says, he reiterates again, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So that they can be secure in the midst of the storm. I think that is the great challenge that's before us as, as Christians. Will we be Christ-like? And that requires us to make a choice. And the choice could be summed up in one word. And that one word is surrender. Will we surrender our life to Christ so that we could have eternal life? Will we surrender our political ideology our desire to win an argument, will, will we surrender our desire for revenge? Will, will we surrender all those things and say with all of our heart, Christ be glorified in my life and in my heart so that the gospel could go forth in our community. And oh Jesus, would you save us as a church from ourselves?
and that the grace that we have received from the Lord, we would dispense that into each other's hearts. That's the mission. There's no other mission. It's not about, and I know you're not here because there's a fancy stained glass window and a cross, you know, and beautiful parking unobstructed with no business trucks. I, I get it that you're here for something other than church. And so I assume that you're here for Jesus. And that's the call. That's the mission. That's how we're going to make a difference in our world. Say yes.